listening to Tarot Visions. You lucky devil. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Rose. How's it going? Not bad. You know, I was thinking, um, there's so many tarot decks out in the world, and I keep trying to figure out what my favorite one is, and I keep coming across this name who keeps being like the co-writer of a ton of them that I love. And, well... You mean me? No, you're not a co-writer of the ones... Okay, maybe you are. <laughs> but you're not the person <laughs> I'm referring to. There was someone before you. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know. Oh, gotcha. What, what no, I know. here, you know? I know, you're, but you're you know heartbroken. what? Yeah, I know. I'm always broken when people don't like my work. You know me. I'm a Leo. The shame, the horror. The shame, and I didn't say I didn't like your work. Nice try, kiddo. <laughs> However, no. comma, I know that this person inspired you. Yes. A lot. And uh, inspires me all the time. And sometimes I get all weird about it because, like, this is an awesome person, too. And, yes, they're this awesome tarot creator over there. And then there's this awesome person over here. And it's like, we should talk to them so people can know them, not just as the awesome name on a box, but as the awesome person that they are. What do you think? You know what? I think we should. I think we should totally bring on this person mm-hmm. and have a chat with them. I wonder if she'll answer the f- call. Well, I know that she's no longer on social media, so we either have to call her or email her or even write to her. Well, let's see what we can do. Sounds good. Hey, Rose? Mm -hmm. How old is that thing? Uh, uh... Hello, Barbara. Yes, this is Barbara. Hi, Barbara. It's Rose and Jamie. Do you have a few oh, minutes to chat? Yes. Oh, my God. Yay. I miss you guys Yay. So Thanks for calling. You are so welcome. Thank you for heeding the call. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. So how are you on this fine September morning, if you will? Oh, very, very well. Very well. Yes, it's beautiful and sunny and still going to be warm around here for a while so yeah welcome to the west coast right it's such a contrast Uh, up here in the pack north wet it is wet it is nice and cool and wet and lovely and it's definitely more of a fall day here yeah we've had cooler temperatures and we've actually had rain which is super unusual for us Mm -hmm. this time of year and at least in our area, we haven't had any fires to speak of, which mm-hmm. after the last two years where we evacuated many times each summer, it has been a relief to not have that fear and to not be breathing smoke all the time. So yeah, it's been good. Well, since people may or may not know who you are, and I hate to mm-hmm. do the whole give us your bio business, but give us a little brief bio of Barbara Moore today. Ooh, that was nice. Let's see. Barbara Moore today. I am the acquisitions editor for Tarot for Llewellyn and have been for over two decades, so long time. I am also a tarot writer of books and decks. I create decks, write companion books for decks that are already done. I'm also a tarot teacher, a little 
less active and a little more focused in terms of tarot teaching. And although I can, of course, read tarot cards and have had a professional reading practice, I haven't been reading professionally for a couple of years now, so I could devote more energy to the stuff I'm creating. Awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Can you give us a hint of some of the things that you might be creating? Creating, well, for yourself. Sure. Llewellyn's Little Book of Tarot has been out for a little while. That was something I'd been working on a lot, and it was a really fun project because unlike a lot of tarot books that have one deck illustrating the whole thing, I got to pick cards from over 60 different decks to illustrate the cards. So it's meant for a beginner, someone who's just maybe not even a beginner, you know, someone who's just interested. It's very pickupable and very flip throughable and it's in full color. And it was like putting together a huge puzzle, having all these decks out, going through the cards, trying to pick out the best card from each deck for each blah, blah, blah. Um, So that was a fun project. That's already available been working on Llewellyn's tarot calendars. I think I just turned in the text for the 2021 calendar. We worked so far ahead on these. So I've been working on the calendars, which has also been a really, really fun project. Upcoming decks uh, in March, the Wizard's Tarot is coming out. Yes, it's a new Wizard's Tarot for Llewellyn. So I'm pretty excited about that. That was super fun to work on. I got to uh, roll in a lot of my favorite mm, ideas and characteristics of wizards from popular culture, literature, uh, movies, TV series, things like that. So that was a really fun project. I'm currently working on a Halloween Tarot. Oh, I know, I know. Don't get too excited because you guys, it might not be the thing for you guys because it is not a pagan witchy take on Halloween. Mm -hmm. It is traditional American nostalgia, like Halloween from when we were kids. Yeah, so tons of fun. The illustrator, his name is Jonathan Hunt, and he is perfect. He has such a sense of whimsy and creativity and... Yeah, and he's all, he's done one card so far and a couple of color roughs. They're looking great, so that's super exciting. I get the idea that it's like a Norman Rockwell-esque kind of, you know, thing, or am I thinking something else? Oh, yeah, we did consider art that was in that vein, and it was a little too, it wasn't active enough. It wasn't, uh, it didn't jump enough, and... Yeah, so yeah, we did consider that. You're right, that's the right flavor of it. So so something similar, but a little more mm, illustrative rather than painterly. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm currently uh, working on preparing for teaching in China. I leave in less than a month. Oh, and exciting. Yeah, my good friend Nancy Antonucci and I are co-teaching at the school I helped found a few years ago with Ricardo Minetti from Los Garbeo with a Chinese publisher that Los Garbeo works with. So we have firmly established the beginner level and now other people are teaching that. And so now Nancy and I get to go into the intermediate level. So lots of three days of intermediate level students, so much fun. 
Okay, so wait, 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 stop. I have to ask some questions now. Yeah. You you helped found a school? Yeah. Tell us yeah. a little bit more about this. This is something we haven't heard. We're Americans. So would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Sure. I don't mind at all. I don't know a ton of details on the how the details of it work and because that's what the um their names are Karen and Arthur. They run Arcana Publishing in China. And so that's them. We helped determine the content based on the three big books Low Scarabeo published, the Tarot Experience, Tarot More, and Tarot Some More. Uh, yeah. I don't know what they're called. And so I got, from what I understand, people, students in China, well, for one thing, they revere teachers, so that's pretty sweet. I get treated like a star <laughs> over there for real. They also, unlike Americans who are very independently minded or whatever we are, they like certification. So this is a school, and it has requirements and whatnot. Now, the testing to get in the testing for certification we the teachers are not involved in right of course so i don't actually know how all of that works for the students our students are all chinese mm-hmm. and work with an interpreter so yeah so the school is meant to have three levels the beginner intermediate and advanced we are currently establishing the intermediate it takes a couple years to get all of that into place like it did with the beginner and so you know maybe Next year, the year after, we'll start developing the advanced material. Right. So what, what is the name of this school, if you don't mind my asking, if you do recall, what the English translation is, by the way? Yeah, well, that's all I can do now. Actually, that's a really great question. I um, always forget, and I just had to type it, China Tarot Readers Alliance and School. Wow. That's exciting, though, that you got to help establish that. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It really was. And it's a really neat experience teaching in China. And students, wherever you go, are slightly different because Mm -hmm. of culture and language and things like that. So having these students who are so attentive and so kind of humble Mm -hmm. is different, different experience. They're shyer. Mm -hmm. But by the time we get going and they get used to us and get used to us being more casual than what maybe they're used to in a teacher, Mm -hmm. they open up and it becomes really, mm, connections are made despite the language barriers. We have great translators. So yeah, it's all pretty, pretty awesome. Any differences between teaching Chinese students versus American people that come to your classes? Hmm. I, that's a really good question. Besides that general attitude of being a little more quiet or a little more reticent, a little more honoring the teacher, which is a little disconcerting, I have to say. No, I mean, I think they're both, they're really similar in that you give them a little information and then a little freedom and then they can really go with it. I think maybe American students may go further faster. Chinese students might not go quite as fast. But even that, I don't know if that's even worth pointing out. Chinese students seem to take their homework very seriously, their participation. You know, they just take it a, a little more seriously. 
I think. Gotcha. Other than that, no. I mean, the same kind of questions come up, same kind of concerns. People are people. <laughs> True. Gotcha. So what's your current favorite deck out that you've got that's your your favorite deck? Not necessarily one you've worked on, but what is it that, that's come out that you're like, oh, I really love this? Because you do see so many different decks. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious as to what, like, in the last month and a half, because, again, you see so many decks. Mm-hmm. What's something that just went, oh, that's awesome? Yeah, that's a great question because I do see a lot of decks. And these days it takes, a, I don't know, something really special to catch my eye. Mm-hmm. Currently, my favorite that I'm using for my daily draws and quick readings for myself or whoever is the Dark Mansion troll. Oh. Mm-hmm. I just think the illustrations are just charming and well done and whimsical and fun and I've been working with it for a little over a month now and I actually admitted via email to someone else today that I'm a little sad about it because I do love it on an aesthetic level so much but Mm -hmm. I'm not forming an emotional connection with it and so I don't know how much longer you know it can stay as my daily deck if that makes sense to you guys yeah So I'm currently in search of a deck for that. I worked a little bit with the slow tarot, Mm -hmm. um, which I enjoyed a lot, but didn't stick. I have a copy of the Spirit Keepers Tarot by Benavel Wen, and it's really deep and complex. And so I've ordered the little, the medium sized book to go with that. And I'm hoping, you know, to, uh, really connect with that. The point of that deck is to help prepare you for your big work. And as I get older, I think a lot about legacy and what I'm going to do next and what I want to prioritize because I mean, I'm not, you know, so old, but I don't want to work forever either. I used to be one of those people who thought, Oh my God, I'm going to work forever. And now I'm like, Oh, there's other things I want to do. So thinking about what I want to do. So this idea of preparing for my big work, you know, what is that going to be? What's it going to look like? So I'm I'm putting a lot of pressure on that deck. Um, (laughs) So we'll see how that goes. How about you guys? What are your favorites right now that you're working with? I tend to rotate once a month through a deck in my fabulous collection. Right now I am using the Ellis deck, the Ellis Tarot which I've got both the third and I think the fourth or the fifth printings of. It's just a fun kind of, it looks like it's been done in Illustrator because it's got that vector style graphic to it. But I just received a copy of the Enchanted Forest Tarot from Linnea. And I am going to, I want to dig into that because I feel like there's this whole new world building for me. Like you, I like the aesthetics, so I got to be drawn into the art. It's interesting that you say you have to have an emotional connection. For me, I feel like there needs to be a story, some connection to the cards that I can draw from. So I love the idea of world building through tarot, which is something I try and do with all the stuff that I write about. And I feel like Linnea and her artist, I can't remember the artist's name. I think it's Elizabeth. No, Morela. Morela. Thank you. They have created a world in that deck. They've changed a lot of the names, a lot of the 
images just bring up different things to me. So I'm looking forward into digging into the book and into the cards and exploring the world that they have created. And that's something I will probably start doing in the next month or two. It is a beautiful, beautiful deck. And what's kind of cool about the packaging is that the artist, Mirela, mm -hmm. is a miniaturist. So she oh. paints her work very, very small. And the book has full bleed images. Yeah. And the artist wrote to me after she saw the kit and she's like, it was so cool to see my work big because she doesn't. So, you know, we get to see these details larger than most anybody ever sees in her work. So That's amazing. I mean, that goes back to the artists where they have to either, you know, have it shrunk down to certain dimensions or bring it up in this case. I never thought about, you know, somebody doing miniaturized portraits and then the the work it has to take to make it a little bit bigger for a deck or for the book in general, because we're always told in graphic design, you must shrink it down. It can't be, you know, you can't start small and blow it up because it's going right. to look bad. But it's neat to hear that she did design kind of almost probably to the card rather than the other way around of right. design big and then shrink down. Yeah, that, you know what, I, I'm not in the production aspect of it. So you're right. I do know when, if you're going to make something bigger, you can't just blow it up because it'll pixelate. So I'm not sure what kind of techno magic they did there. But yeah, I think she did create to card size. Yeah, that's very impressive, especially if that's not her, her average medium. And I would say my favorite current deck, I've got three. One of them is also the Dark Mansion, but I'm also a Tim Burton fan. So that kind of blended those yeah. two worlds together was Tarot and Tim Burton and then the illustrations. The other two that I'm really digging, one of them is called the Triple Goddess Tarot. And a friend of mine had a lot to do with that. But I found that when I bring that out, a lot of people connect with it. And ironically enough, uh, I did a reading gig just recently and a lot of men were connecting with that, which is unusual. When you think of Triple Goddess, you think of women connecting with it. But the men were like, no, I want that deck. And it was great to see. But the other deck that I've also got is uh, the Everyday Witch Tarot by Deborah Blake. And the packaging on that, you guys did, Llewellyn did. And I loved it. I loved the box. I loved the cardstock. I loved the, the full color book that went with it. And then, of course, she's got the everyday witch oracle that has just recently come out and I've been exploring that but that's not tarot that's an oracle but again really great packaging the only downside for me on that one deck the oracle was it wasn't the same size as the witch the everyday witch so I couldn't mix them which was kind of a bummer because the artist is the same in both and as Jamie pointed out the storytelling I felt in the everyday witch was really great because it does have a lot of world building and 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 of course, there's cats on every deck, on every card, which was so exciting for me. So, yeah. I, I am so glad you mentioned that little critique of the Oracle, because when we were visioning it and getting, you know, deciding the specs and everything, I was really, really obnoxious in trying to insist that the deck be the same size as our tarot decks and have the same backs as the Everyday Witch. Yeah. So that we could do that, mix them together. But I obviously didn't win that argument. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, it's a hard balance. You know, I know that, you know, Rose, you brought up the Oracle decks. I've been getting a lot more Oracles for some reason this year. I don't know why. 
but I've got a <laughs> growing mass of Oracle decks. So I think that there's something that tarot readers do want an Oracle. Like I, yeah, I agree. I wish that the everyday witch Oracle was the same size, maybe hint, hint down the road. There can be another version for that. But I also like the idea of having the standalones as well, because then you get out to be inundated and introduced to new styles of reading. And how can I use this Oracle in addition to the other things as well? Well, and that's what I was thinking too with that, because they're not the same size, I could just do them as here's the tarot and here's the Oracle and mix them as we've talked about in past episodes. What is it? Do you like to do that, Barbara? Do you like to try and blend those or are they kind of separate techniques? Yeah, that's a good question. I have in the past done a lot of that incorporating, blending the two like on the table at the same time but not shuffling them together or anything like that. So I think that's kind of what you guys are talking about, having it be part of the experience, but also separate. So I have done that in the past. I haven't pulled out my Oracle cards for that kind of use in forever. And so maybe that's um, talking with you guys, I think is inspiring me a little bit because I do have Oracle decks that I haven't looked at in a long time. The only one that I have like actively is uh Whispers of Lord Ganesha. I use that one on my main altar and pull cards from that for for my altar. But other than that, I don't have a regular use oracle. The other thing I want to start exploring is using charms because Carrie Paris is a genius and has put together so many cool charm sets. And I love little things like that. And, you know, tarot is such a tactile experience in and of itself when you add charms to it it just Mm -hmm. enhances that but I haven't gotten around to doing much with that yet have you guys done anything with charms at all I have I've got most of Carrie's sets and various you know capacities I haven't I've got both her mediumship charms and her normal Lenormand and tarot charms but I keep the mediumship stuff separate and the other charms kind of together and I've added to it over the time it's, it takes a lot of time, listeners, if you're listening, it takes time to practice, you know, A, to practice your decks, B, to practice the oracles or the charms by themselves. And then it takes time to develop a style of how you layer these things together. Like, as we were talking just about the everyday which items, the oracle, you can use, draw one card for a theme, the tarot, you can use as the how-to, how to get to that theme. And again, with charms, you can kind of do similar things where you can do a tarot reading and then hover over it. Like if you're at home, I sometimes will spread the cards out either on a bedspread or the floor. So you can hover over your cards with the charms and let them drop. And maybe the charms will tell, you know, the ones that land on the card is like, oh, these are the things you need to focus on first out of this reading. It's kind of like a kitty cat divination where in the past I've had cats that decide they want to sit on certain cards. I've done this with clients where a cat sat on one of the cards. I'm like, you know, my cat's sitting on this card. So I think you need to look at, you know, what's going on in this particular position on this card first before you start these other things. Mm -hmm. But it's just fun to kind of experiment and explore, especially if you have cats that like charms, see where, you know, the charms might land. Don't let them run them off with it or swallow them. But, you know, you can invite other people into it, your household, you know, children into it. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's what, a lot of what we do nowadays is experiment and explore. So 
for me, it's finding enough time to be able to just have a day where I work with a deck or two or the charm sets and say, how can you two play well together? Well, and also the one cool thing about Carrie's systems, and that's with an S, is that she also puts out reading mats so that you can throw charms on the mats and then they have different meanings as well. And I really am enjoying her Lenormand charms, the uh, Lenormand oracles, uh, magpie oracles, the name of the actual oracle. Um, I have like two different sets because she created two different ones and you just, it gives that next layer. She also created a tarot charm set Mm -hmm. and I got to share that with a friend of mine who happens to be blind and it was another layer for them because what he would have to do with his cards is he would put braille on them. But with having the charms, he didn't have to do that because he could do tactile and still know what it was and give great readings. So, you know, you've got these different ways of using the charms as a way to enhance the reading or as a way to do a different type of reading. And it's really exciting. And then of course, Carrie also put out a magnetic Lenormand set, which is kind of cool. I'm still playing with that because, again, I'm not sure how to not keep the magnets from sticking to each other. But that's, you know, it's fun and exciting to play with. Well, speaking of sticking together and back to the tactile thing, you had mentioned that you're also using the Dark Mansion Trail. Now, did you find it to be very sticky and hard to shuffle? Because I did, and I put fanning powder on all mine, and it has made a tremendous difference. I didn't find that, but I also, I didn't get one of the very first decks. So that may be why I may have gotten a second, one of the later printings, but I know that I've had other decks where that happens and that helps too. But I do like the quality of the cardstock on that one. And I love the fact that it's got the black edging and that's just really, you know, interesting because again, it reminds me of people who print on the card, uh, the plastic cardstock. Because, like, I'm not worried about it getting ruined or dirty or anything, you know, accidentally spilling on it. Thank goodness it's all, it hasn't happened at all. But, you know, those sort of things. But, yeah, I, I can see. I remember it took me a while to shuffle through it, so I didn't have as much. But I do recall it doing a little bit of sticking. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. So fanning powder is kind of a state, from what I understand, it's a stage magician's tool where if you have cards that are sticky or they're just hard to manipulate in your hands, you can get a little bit of powder. You don't go hog wild and put, you know, got the consistency of baby powder, but you don't want to put all the baby powder on it. You just lightly coat front and back each one of your cards and it helps the shuffleability of it. It helps the cards kind of not stick together. So if listeners who have decks that are old or have lost their ability to shuffle real well, or are like Barbara said, sticking, Feel, you know, fanning powder is a good way to extend the longevity and it goes a long way. It oh, does. It goes I, a long I, way? I have had my little canister for years and I don't do it on every deck, but even if a deck isn't sticky, if you have a deck that you love and you want to like pamper and make even more silky because the fanning powder reduces the friction. So it makes everything mm-hmm. flow like butter. But the way I do it, it takes quite a while. And you're right, you don't need a lot on the card, but I, I usually put some in a plate, like a dinner plate. And then I just, I take the card one by one, flip it both sides, and then I have a lint-free towel and I wipe each one on each side and then go through and wipe it again. So it's pretty time consuming, but it, it is a really cool way to bond very intimately with your deck as well. 
And then one caveat though, is don't be tempted to replace baby powder or talcum powder because they're opposites. Fanning powder repels moisture and talcum absorbs moisture. So if you put talcum on your cards, you're going to draw moisture into your cards. So don't do that people. Yeah. <laughs> and you can find it on Amazon. I've got a little container of my own. I found that the moment I want to start using fanning powder, that's the moment my decks decide they want to be retired. So I then just put them back on the shelf for a little bit and say, let me know when you guys are ready to play again. And then I'll go through the ritual of the fanning powder and coat everything so that they can be used again. Hey, did you guys know I'm speaking at Raider Studio this year? Hey, did you know that I'm signed up for that? So <laughs> I'll definitely see you. Yeah, I'm stoked that you're coming back to Reader Studio. I know you've taken a hiatus from it. So other than being asked to be a presenter, and I know you can't tell us anything about it, gosh darn it, because it's all, you know, a secret and surprise because that's how the Ambush Thrones like it. How does it feel to come back? Oh, it feels good. I mean, I've had once before when I was starting Midnight Inc., I took a few years off. A person can only do so much. So the taking a few years off, coming back, in a way, it's kind of nice because it's like makes everything feel really fresh and exciting. So, you know, I, I am super excited about that. And yes, you're right. Everything has to be super secret um, until you get there, like the night up Friday night or whatever, when they interview us. But I'll tell you guys a secret. I don't know what I'm going to teach yet. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So you hear that first, everybody that's going to Reader Studio with us, Barb's going to go completely empty-handed, and then she'll get on the stage, and all of a sudden, no, I know, I know, she's over here going, no, no, don't tell them that. I, I know. Exactly. It's going to be a surprise even to Barbara up until she decides what it is, but she's excited to teach, and that's the best part. Yes. That's the best part, but if anyone has things that they're dying to hear from me, let me know. Who knows? It might end up being part of something. Here's something that's different about this year for me, at least so far, is the two other times I spoke, I spent like a full, not a full year, because you don't get a full year, but almost a full year working on the presentations and agonizing over them and rehearsing them and, you know, just like being paralyzed with this fear of public speaking and being good enough and having something worth teaching it was really exhausting and hard. And now I don't feel that. Like even for my China class where I feel a bunch of responsibility to my students, but not anxiety and freak out. And so for Reader Studio, I feel more relaxed and like, yes, I totally intend to bring my best A game, but I don't have to also have anxiety and freaking out along with that that doesn't mean I'm doing a better job so maybe I'll be a little more loose this year <laughs> and have a little more fun having been fortunate enough to hear you previously I'm sure you can. you will be amazing no matter what I learned so much every time I hear you speak so I can't wait to hear what you're going to be talking about this coming up time yeah me either <laughs> do you think that some of this relaxation is because you have gone out and already either a done it a couple of times before or b have just kind of you know how to you've got it figured out for your teaching style and teaching aspect Mm-mm, I don't I, w I, I wish I could say that 
no, I guess I don't care either way. That doesn't feel like it because I've been teaching for years, a decade or more, and it never got easier, no matter how much experience I had with it. I think it's a shift in me. So one that I'm pretty okay with. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's more that. That's fantastic. I know that you've talked a little bit about these shifts with other podcasts. What, tell us a little bit more about the journey, I guess, and how you find these shifts, if you could. Sure. Everyone's life goes in phases and cycles. And even within overarching cycles, we have smaller cycles. There's always a lot going on. For me, the big like overarching life cycle, I would say started probably in 2016, the one that is kind of going on right now. And that one, that year, my wife and I were feeling very stuck in our living situation. We owned a house and the market was such that we were underwater. We couldn't afford to sell. So we had no choices. And she was feeling really, really stuck and really unhappy and getting unhappier each day. And we kept trying to figure out how to move, how to do something just to, we needed a change. And we finally figured out that since we couldn't afford to move, that she would move in a way she became a traveler for nine months or almost a year, something like that. And so I stayed home and took care of the house and the dog and the money and the bills. And then she went and traveled and worked and couch surfed and did all kinds of crazy things. And then when she came back, we decided to move to one of the places she had fell in love with, which is where I am right now, Potter Valley, California, Northern California. And so when we moved here and we got our post office box, our post office box is 445. And a friend of mine pointed out, oh, that adds up to 13, you know, and then there was, I forget the other thing, another thing came up and a friend said, oh, that's the death card. And I'm like, okay, so this is definitely a time of death. And And during the time of death, my beloved canine companion died while I wasn't in the state. So I didn't get to say goodbye. So that sucked. My father died. My wife's father died. The man who we rent from died. I mean, just all these people around us were dying. And I'm not used to that much death in my life. And it was um, very reflective of inner death stuff that was going on. And at one point last fall, I was telling a friend, oh, I'm so done with death. I wish, I wish I could move out of this phase. And she said, well, which card would you want to go to next? And I didn't do a knee-jerk response. I thought, this is an important and valuable question. And so I thought long and hard about what I would need after this two years of death. And I selected the star card and because of healing and hope and renewal and faith and the quiet gentleness that I associate with that card. And so I would have the star card out from various decks. I made a bunch of paper stars and covered them in glitter. Actually, they're still hanging up all over my house. You know, I just did things to focus on that energy. So that was 
part of this phase. And then after about a year of that, I was getting together with some tarot friends and they're like, well, what should we do? We should pick a card for the weekend. What's going to, you know, and I said, okay, whatever we do, I don't want to do anything hard. I feel like, you know, I did the death and I did the healing and now I'm just done. My friend wrote back and said, we promise we won't ask you to show us where the bad man touched you on the tarot card. (laughs) (laughs) We picked the sun. And so this summer, the sun card has kind of been the, the phase that I'm going through. Just, okay, death, transformation, healing, now just joyful, re- appreciating the beauty and joy of the world and life. And I feel like I'm slowly easing into the empress because, you know, death and healing, that's all transformation. And and when you transform that much, you've created new soil in yourself, mulch, new mulch for seeds to grow and to grow differently. And I really feel like now is the time to start planting and nurturing some new seeds, which I think that's one reason I don't know what I'm doing at Reader Studio yet, because that is yet to come. And I don't want to do something old. I get bored with doing stuff I've already done before, and it doesn't reflect new new stuff I've learned or experienced. So that was a lot of talking. Did that explain anything? Yes, that did. Oh my God, that was fantastic. And it's truth. You know, a lot of us do live a tarot life. You know, I'm not going to say the name of my book there, but yeah, tarot inspires life. (laughs) Duh, it really does. And the fact that we can use the numerology of like the P.O. Box number or the house number. Yeah, same here. I live at an address 5528. That's perfect, you know, because it adds up to 20 awakening, pushing beyond stuff and then further reduce us down to the high priestess. And I'm like, okay. I'm done. I got that. So I'm happy with that. But I love that the idea is that a lot of times we think, well, the year is this, and I'm only confined into this year. But I love the idea that, no, we always tell our clients, you have the reins on your work, your life. What card do you want to step into now? Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Plus the fact is that right now it's not the greatest time to plant seeds because it's, we're going into the dark times or, you know, the, the, well, I don't know about in California, but I know up here, it's like the rainy season, the, the seeds won't survive. It's well, no, it's harvest time right now. It's the time well, yeah. to plant what you already did in the, in the spring and stuff. But I also, but then it's also going into the dead time, the winter right. time. So it's time to then just revisit what you want to do come spring again. And I think this is the perfect time as, you know, Barbara doesn't know what she wants to do. She has all winter to figure it all out and we're going to wait on that journey. And then they'll start growing in spring, which is when the reader studio is, which is, I think, perfect. Yeah. But I think what you said makes a lot of sense about, you know, you went through all of this transition and then now I need that star energy to come back. And now what do I want to do? I want to birth things and picking the empress and then putting that image around you, that was the one thing that struck me in your conversation, is that when you were asked the question, you said the star card is what you were wanting to work with. And then you put stars and other star cards around you so that energy was coming in. And I think that's something that's important for our listeners to think about, is that when you want to bring some energy into your world, you don't have to just have one tarot card in front of you, and that's the card you look at every day. Bring in 
different pieces of things that make you connect with that energy as Barbara did with the stars. She put paper stars all over her house. So I think that's inspirational is because how do we take this esotericness and put it into our everyday? We Mm -hmm. have to make the effort to figure out what we want and just do it. So, wow, that was great. So what are you going to do now? How are you going to put Empress out in your world? What would you think of? Are you going to plant a garden or... Wait, before I will answer that question, but what you were saying reminded me of something else that might help the listeners. Yes, I don't yes. Yeah, so the idea of, you know, not just having the one card or the one aspect of something, but many, is also that you learn more facets of that card. And I mean, on an intellectual level, I understand the Hebrew letter associations. I don't use them and therefore have not memorized them. But when I was doing this, I got super serious and I went through you know, all my reference books and wrote down everything I could about the uh, star. And one of them, and hopefully one of you guys can pronounce the Hebrew letter that goes with the star. The one that means fish hook. I'm not even going to try, but it means fish hook. At first I thought, what a ghastly thing to go with this card. A fish hook seems so violent, but it's really about the thing that hooks you and pulls you toward the divine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things I think it was Mary Greer who has taught, assuming the pose of a card is another way to do the energy. Well, this isn't really the pose of a card, but it was a yoga pose, like 10 minute yogas every morning. There's this one pose, I don't know what the proper name is, but she calls it cactus arms. And so you put your arms up like goalposts and you push your heart up to the heavens. And that reminds me of being hooked and just giving myself over to that connection. And so sometimes when I just feel like I need a little reconnection with my core values or my sense of the divine, I will just do that pose and it just draws me up. So yeah, you can find these kind of connections to the cards anywhere. Tarot inspired life for Sure, absolutely. And, you know, also living like a mythological life, living mythically, which I've heard people talking about, and I still don't know if I understand it exactly. But I think Joseph Campbell and Bill Moyers in their Power of Myth conversations, one of them said something like, back then, back in the days, the world was responsive to the hero. And as diviners, we, we may not live in a world that is so responsive as it used to be. Maybe we are. Maybe we just forgot how to pay attention. But as diviners, we're used to looking at the world and reading the world, you know, not just yeah. the cards. But you know, we talk about oracle decks and charms, but it's even more than that. We read the world. So, yeah, you can find your tarot. A friend of mine once said, tarot is so amazing and the cards are pretty cool too <laughs> that tarot is something bigger than the cards mm-hmm. so and that's how i feel no i agree i i ironically enough divine with my parking spaces every time i go into a mm-hmm. parking garage i find out what number it is and then i figure out what tarot card it is and I'm like oh, okay we're gonna have that kind of day so no i totally get it it's in the world around you and as jamie said also you know where she lives it down, goes down to high priestess happily in her house. So that's brilliant. Yeah. And it's also like, if it's the world, like whenever I get readers with tattoos, it's like, I don't want to read my cards. I want to read their body. You know, I know this sounds bad listeners, but I want to read their body. I want to read the symbols that they adorn their body with. I want to know what brought them to put those on and what they mean and what I interpret them as, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, 
that's what we do. You know, it's, it's what keeps us connected. Yeah. Oh, that would be so cool. I never thought of that. Oh, now I'm going to be distracted if I read for someone with tattoos. Oh, what a great idea. But Rose, your question was, what am I going to do now with my empress energy that I'm bringing in? Well, a lot of it at the moment is going into China. I mean, it's these, I feel almost motherly to the students. I mean, they're mostly very young and they look at me with such hunger and hope. (laughs) It makes me feel very motherly. So they're for sure. And I have a couple of deck ideas that are still just ideas. So I'm not really willing to talk about them just yet. I can just say one is going to be probably my most emotional and emotionally evocative deck ever. Mm -hmm. It really feels like that. And also lusciously beautiful. It's just, I can picture it, even though I don't have all the descriptions yet. The other one is going to be really fun plus useful. So those two decks, plus whatever book I write next, whatever this great work that the Spirit Keepers Tarot helps me figure out, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's probably going to be something completely useless to most people, but along the lines of that living mythically. And, you know, I learned a lot about psychological transformation through my shamanic studies. So I'm sure all of that's going to pull together into it as well. And then hopefully some of that will go into the reader studio thing. So I don't know, two decks, a big class, a presentation. I mean, that's kind of enough for, oh, I know what I was going to say. Oh, yes. So in December, right over the solstice, my wife is going to be gone for a week. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do during that week? And I decided I'm going to stay home and do a personal retreat and do something I've been meaning to do since, gosh, I think I did this in like 2015. I was at the kind of the height of my shamanic studies and I helped with this, our winter solstice ritual. And part of what we, the students did in that ritual was we did this keening, moaning wall of sound while my teacher brought the old bone mother to everybody in the audience and the participants. Uh And I mean, this old bone mother thing is something he invented Mm -hmm. and there isn't much to it, right? There's not a lot of mythology that he made. It's basically when the branches clink against each other in the autumn air and the leaves are falling, that kind of, sound Mm -hmm. the old bone mother goes through the world and takes all that is no longer needed takes it back to her well I think he said cave I would say a hut or a cabin or a cottage and then she knits all of that into new things for the reindeer goddess to bring to people on the solstice so you know it's just this little tiny personal mythology but that work that I did, which we were, we sat on stage, we had veils over our heads, our heads bowed, very humble. And we just did this sound intonation thing. It was very weird. And I got, and I never heard it from the audience, but supposedly it was really powerful and moving as they were releasing with this grief, things that they didn't need anymore. I felt like that was some of the most powerful work that I've ever done, even though I didn't fully understand what I was doing. And another friend of mine keeps encouraging me. He's like, the teacher did what he did with it. 
he put a seed out there, really. So it's like this whole bone mother aspect of whatever she's an aspect of. I want to explore that and find out, you know, more about who she is and what her role is and how I can continue to serve her and how she serves the world. So that's going to definitely take some Empress energy there, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I love that idea, though. We talk about things that aren't really dead that are remembered. And Mm. the idea that the Bone Mother is an entity that maybe somebody actually created, but it's now taken on a life that's its own. Like you said, it's a seed. So let's bring in some of that Bone Mother, figure out what she is and how we can use her in our life. Mm -hmm. Wow, I, I mean, there's so much more I could talk to you about, Barbara. We've been chatting for so long, but it doesn't feel like it's been hardly any time at all. I just want to take it a moment to say thank you for being on and, and being able to chat with us today and really give us a little bit of more than just the, hey, this is that lady that does the things with the cool hair and who created one of my favorite decks. Yes, steampunk people, steampunk row, go get it. And taking a moment to give us a little more and being open, and that's really great. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed our conversation so, so much. Where can people find you? I mean, I know that you're no longer really on social media and you want people's input. So how can they really connect to you? Probably the easiest way for them to remember is my website, taroshaman.com, has my email on there. Or if they want to skip that and just go straight to email, barbaramore07 at comcast.net. Write to me. Yeah, contact me that way. I It's true, I'm not on social media, but I still like to connect on very personal levels with people. So yeah, reach out. Yeah, Thank you so much. It's always fun to chat with you. Yeah, I missed you guys. I haven't talked to you in, on your podcast in a long time. So thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Jamie. And thank you again to our engineer, Mike Charbonneau, and to our wonderful musician, Kendra, who created the opening and closing for our podcast. We are ever so grateful. Thank you, listeners. You can find us at all kinds of places because we are on social media because we're crazy like that. So, you know, you can email us at Tarot Visions Show. So it's Tarot Visions and the second S for show at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Tarot underscore Visions or find us on Facebook at Tarot Visions US. And we look forward to hearing from all of you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Tarot Visions, a podcast for the modern oracle. To keep the conversation going, find us on Facebook at Tarot Visions US or follow us on Twitter at tarot underscore visions. Insert phone song here, Mike, please. Yeah, that kind of sounds.